Welcome to In Dispute, the latest news and developments in the tax disputes landscape from KPMG's Tax Dispute Resolution Network. This podcast series provides timely insights into a variety of tax controversy topics. I'm Sharon Katz-Perlman, and I lead KPMG's U.S. and Global Tax Dispute Resolution Networks. We are glad to have you listening in. Hi, I'm Mike Dolan, and I lead the IRS Practice Procedure and Administration Group in KPMG's Washington National Tax. I'm happy to be with you for a few minutes today to talk about the Taxpayer First Act. For the past couple of years, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, something we finally know as TCJA, has consumed the lion's share of most tax professionals' time. In the meantime, however, the Taxpayer First Act, which for our purposes today I'll shorthand to the TFA, was signed into law last July. It contains nearly 50 provisions that will impact the tax ecosphere at both the macro and micro levels. So looking first at the more macro level, in the immediate term, there are three overarching mandates that will require IRS's attention. Those mandates involve customer service, training, and restructuring of the IRS. On the customer service front, Treasury is required to submit to Congress a written comprehensive IRS customer service strategy, and that strategy is to include a plan to provide assistance to taxpayers that's secure, meets reasonable taxpayer expectations, and then adopts appropriate best practices from the private sector. And the act includes reference to online services, telephone callback services, and training of employees that provide customer services. The act also calls for the IRS to structure its customer service strategy into short, medium, and long-term implementation segments. And then lastly, it instructs Treasury to create metrics by which benchmarks can be created that will permit measurement of the progress in implementing the strategy. Moving to the training front, the commissioner is required to submit to Congress a written report providing a comprehensive training strategy for employees of the IRS. At a minimum, the report must include a plan to streamline current training processes, to develop annual training on taxpayer rights, including instructions to employees on the role of the Office of Taxpayer Advocate, and all other employees that interface with taxpayers. The IRS is also called to specify how it will improve technology-based training. While the statutory language focuses largely on customer service training, it's my impression that the IRS intends to approach this training issue on a far more broadly basis. Looking at organizational structure, Treasury is also required to develop a comprehensive plan to redesign the organization of the IRS. While it's not clear from the law what aspects of the organization that Congress had in mind when it directed this plan, it provided that the plan must, at a minimum, prioritize taxpayer services in a way that ensures all taxpayers easily and readily receive the assistance they need. It's to streamline the agency's structure, to minimize duplicate services and responsibilities. It's to best position the IRS to combat cybersecurity threats. And lastly, it's also to address whether the IRS Criminal Investigation Division should report directly to the commissioner. As an important aside on this issue, one year after the IRS submits its restructuring report to Congress, the restrictions on organizational structure, which were part of the IRS Restructuring and Reform Act of 1998, will be repealed. You might recall that that RRA 1998 provision required IRS to migrate from their then structure of districts and regions 
on a geographic basis to the current organization, which is sort of around a nationalized constituency of either large business, small business, self-employed, tax-exempt, or wage and investment taxpayers. The timing of these three overarching goals is coming right up on the IRS. The statute requires that the customer service and training strategies be submitted to Congress by July 2nd this year, and the redesign and restructuring plan is due by September 30. Now, let's shift gears a little bit to some more micro uh, aspects of the Taxpayer First Act, the TFA, and some of the those targeted provisions worth noting, I think, include, number one, the establishment of an independent office of appeals. As most will understand, the appeals function originally established administratively is now enshrined in statute as the independent office of appeals. Additionally, new provisions narrow the circumstances in which a taxpayer can be denied access to appeals. And thirdly, there's a new provision that provides for specif specified taxpayers to have the right to receive all non-privileged portions of their administrative case file prior to their appeals hearings. And for purposes of the act, a specified taxpayer who's entitled to this information is on the individual side, somebody with an AGI less than 400,000. And for other taxpayers, for those who have gross receipts that don't exceed 5 million for the year in dispute. The TFA also includes a number of focused provisions which provide increased taxpayer protections in certain enforcement matters. For example, the code is amended to require third-party summonses be narrowly drawn. It also adds precision to the conditions under which notice of contact of third parties should be utilized. It requires additional scrutiny and approval of a designated summons. And lastly, it limits non-IRS personnel access to taxpayer books, records, data, etc., except where such person is engaged as an expert. E-filing mandates are also expanded by the TFA. As you will know, preparers today filing certain numbers of returns have had the requirement for some time to do so electronically. The TFA increases those numbers to be done electronically by reducing the mandatory e-filing thresholds for preparers to 150 in 2019, 100 in 2020, and 50 in 2021. Also, beginning with taxable year 2019, exempt organizations will be required to form, file their Forms 990 electronically, although small tax exempts will have until 2021 to meet that requirement. And lastly, under this bucket, any organization required to file an unrelated business income tax return under Code Section 511 must now do so electronically. There are also a number of cybersecurity and identity protection related provisions in the Act, including the availability and the use of an identity protection personal identifier, IPPI number. Those, that availability is expanded. Secondly, taxpayers whose returns have been delayed or adversely affected due to a tax-related identity theft will be provided a single point of contact to help throughout the resolution process. And lastly, the IRS is charged with developing and issuing public guidelines for managing cases involving refund fraud, including setting standards for how and when such cases and issuance of refunds will be resolved. Bringing this little discussion to a close, implementation of the TFA will, in my judgment, require a substantial investment of energy and dollars. The operational impacts of the IRS's 10-year downward budget trajectory 
have been previously pretty well documented, that trajectory will have to dramatically improve if there's to be any serious chance that the IRS will be in a position to deliver the type changes envisioned by the TFA. Achievement of the TFA objectives, while very positive in scope, will require sustained support and investment from the administration and the appropriators. We'll all look forward to considering the substantive plans as they begin to emerge this summer. Thanks for your time and attention. Thank you.